Once upon a time. In a land far away. I'm Katrina. And I'm Jeff. And welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat. While we retell you a thing. So, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're super excited because we're going to be getting back to fairy tales, which Woo-hoo! my husband <laughs> my husband recently was like, um, so when are you guys going to tell a fairy tale again? <laughs> I was like, you didn't enjoy the month of geomythology? <laughs> On the fairy tellers podcast? <laughs> I was like, no, we cover uh, <laughs> fables, legends, everything. But anyway, he wanted us to get back to fairy tales. So this will be a fun little shout out for him. (laughs) Uh, So today we're going to hear a fairy tale, Jeff. And then I'm going to take you on a bit of a wild journey through the history of German Christmas. Exciting. (laughs) I hope you're excited. It will be more exciting I think when you, when everybody listens to see how this all kind of turns out. So the fairy tale that I'm going to be telling today, it's titled Mother Holly, H-O-L-L-E, but still Holly. So this is a Grimm's fairy tale. So it's recorded in their book, but they got it from Dorchen Wild, and she was a friend of the Grimm's brother's sister. Oh. And she might have married one of the Grimm's brothers eventually. I'll have to look, the, I'll have to double check that because I know one of them married one of the Wild sisters. So, this is a story that they got from Dorchen. So, once upon a time, there was a widow who had a beautiful and very hard working and industrious stepdaughter, but then an ugly and lazy <laughs> real daughter. So she, as stepmothers do (laughs) in fairy tales, she didn't like her beautiful and industrious uh, stepdaughter. And so she was always making her stepdaughter work and do chores and be in charge of everything. And in the translation that I have, so I'm not sure if it's the same in German, it even says she became the Cinderella of the house. And <laughs> so it's like, yes, so, we know this is a thing. Okay. It's another kind of Cinderella thing. And they're like, we're going to reference some of the stories we already have in here. It's a colloquialism now. So almost every day, the stepdaughter, she had to sit by the well and spin. And if anybody spin th- uh, thread. <laughs> Not just like th- break dancing, spinning on her head for hours yeah, at a time. Yeah, no. <laughs> Spinning thread. So I was not familiar with spinning thread or what you need like to do that. And so some people, what I was the most familiar with in storytelling was a spinning wheel. But she didn't have a spinning wheel out by the well. What she had was a distaff and a drop spindle. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) 
I actually, I was at a Renaissance festival and I like asked this lady who was sitting there spinning like thread. I was like, I have some questions about some fairy tales. And she was like, please don't ask me about Rumpelstiltskin. And I was like, I'm not going to. And she was like, continue. Anyway, so she taught me a distaff is a stick with this kind of little cage on it. It almost looks mm-hmm. like stage light cages, if anyone uh-huh. knows what I'm talking about. Just like it's this kind of little ball cage and it's filled with whatever material you're spinning. Yeah. And so if it's like, you know, stuff full of wool or flax or whatever, it's in there. And then you have what's called a drop spindle and it looks like a a, a top like a spinning top. Right. And it basically is that, that you spin it and the the weights on it make it spin in the air and then you like pull out the material that you're working with and it will spin it. And like twist it together. It'll, yeah, it'll twist it as it's like falling and then you pick it up and you wrap it. Uh, you wrap the long piece that you just made around the bottom of it Uh and then you keep doing it like until your whole drop spindle is like full of the threaded material that's basically like what what she was doing was dropping spindles yep dropping spindles so she was standing out by the well and she would work so hard all day that her fingers would start to bleed and so One day while she was doing that, her spindle got blood on it from her fingers. Mm -hmm. And she knew that she needed to clean it off. Because gross. Because because gross, yeah. It was going to discolor what she was working on. And so she took the drop spindle and she leaned over to dip it into the well. But she dropped it. Rookie move. And it went down the well. Yeah. <laughs> she dropped it and it went down into the well. So she went back home crying to her stepmother and told her what had happened that, you know, she'd worked so hard her fingers were bleeding and then she tried to wash it off and it fell in. And her stepmother was like, well, since you dropped it in, I guess you better go get it or not come home. Which, it's at the bottom of a well. So basically the lady was like, well, well it's no point in you living better anymore. Better kill yourself. And so the girl, she went out and she stood by the well and was just crying at the well because she didn't know what to do. And then she basically decided, well, I better jump in and see if I can get it because there's no point in even like trying to go home if I don't have it. Yeah. And so she leaned over into the well and it ended up tipping in and falling down. And she in the story like blacks out. And when she wakes up. So blunt force trauma to the head will do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> Drowning. Uh, so when she wakes up, she is standing in this field, this giant green field. What? And she's like, I don't know how I got here. And so she starts wandering around and walking. And as she's wandering around and walking, she sees this oven. And inside of this oven, she heard bread calling out, (laughs) help us, take us out. We're burning. We're burning. (laughs) 
And so she like quickly runs over and like pulls this anthropomorphic bread <laughs> out of the out of the oven and it's like thank you so much for doing this for us. And in some stories, in some versions of the story, she then takes the bread in the basket and is carrying it with her. In the Grimm's Brothers version, it doesn't say that she carries it with them. But you could read it in other places. Yeah, and you better believe that the movie version is going to have the talking bread sidekicks. because Oh, yeah, they're going to be hilarious. Think of the merchandising opportunities. <laughs> so the she continued like on her walk, and when she was passing by this tree, she heard these apples calling out, like, help, help, we're ripe, but we won't fall down. And she's like, what in the world? So she goes over the tree, and these apples are ripe, but they haven't started falling on the ground. So she takes the tree, and she starts, like, shaking it. And all the apples are falling, and they're like, thank you, thank you, kind girl, for ending our lives. <laughs> so... They, like, fall to the ground, and again, in some stories, she gathers them up, like, with her and is, like, holding them. But in the Grimm's Brothers version, she's not carrying it with her. She just helps them out and then carries on without a reward. So as she's walking, she sees this little house. And in the doorway, she sees this old woman with massive teeth standing there. Oh, boy. And she, at first, is, like terrified of course this is not a good sign yeah like not good for me personally and the woman there says don't be afraid little girl i'm mother holly and the girl's like oh okay (laughs) which to me when i first read this story i was like that reference means nothing to me i don't know why this girl is suddenly like oh okay oh well now that i know your name Um, i know you can't do anything bad to me yeah like oh your mother holly never mind (laughs) like then we're totally cool like it's gonna be okay so she goes into this lady's house and the lady was like mother holly was like as long as you work really hard and help me with my chores you can stay in this house as long as you want it's like that's great news for me because i don't know if you're listening at the beginning of this story but i was an industrious stepdaughter once (laughs) i had an illustrious career as an industrious stepdaughter she's like this is my wheelhouse so She starts living with Mother Holly and helping her do all of her chores like around the house, taking care of like the cooking and the cleaning and the gardening outside and just working really hard. And Mother Holly even trusted her with this special job of shaking out her feather bed. And in this story, again, there's this kind of just reference that it's like you're supposed to just understand it and get it where she says, It's very important that you shake out my bed cover very hard because that's the only way it will snow in the above world. And so I almost said Dorchin because I was talking about Dorchin well before. But no, so the stepdaughter, because she didn't have a name, the (laughs) stepdaughter, she, I guess we could call her the industrious girl. (laughs) Like she's a superhero. (laughs) Industrious girl. industrious girl so she apparently is very good about shaking out the the bed covering and mother holly is very happy with her and she thinks that she's super wonderful well a certain amount of time goes by and the girl starts missing the above world like being 
back home. I'm calling it the above world because she's in this. Or like, she fell down space. a well. Yeah, she fell down a well. Um, even though there's a big field and trees and everything seems like it's fine. So, <laughs> like, like, nobody asks weird questions. So she starts missing being home. I feel like not because she misses the people up there, but just because she realizes that, like, the place that she's in is a place of, like, stagnation where everything just is kind of the same and there's no growth. Right. She's not like, I can't wait to spend every waking moment doing chores for my stepmother. (laughs) Yeah, like, life is going to be great when I get back up there and I tell them all about my adventures. Like, no, that's not what she's thinking. So she goes to Mother Holly and she says, like, I'm I'm starting to feel homesick. I miss being around my people and more people. And Mother Holly is like, no, it's really good that you feel ready to go. So let me help you. So she hands her the drop spindle that she had before, like, dropped. And... She is like, okay, I need you to walk through this door. So she opens up this huge giant door that the girl had never seen before. She opens it up and she's like, okay, stand right there. So the girl walks through it and suddenly gold coins like shower down on her. A golden shower, if you will. (laughs) I won't. So gold coins fall down and they stick all over her body. And so until her entire body is covered in gold. And then Mother Holly says, thank you for all your work. You're a wonderful child. I hope you continue to be industrious and hardworking. And she's like, thank you so much. And then she walks through this long hallway until suddenly she's right next to her uh, stepmother's house. (laughs) So when she walks past her stepmother's house, again, we have a bird who's like singing little rhymes. And it's my favorite. Uh, just like in the Brothers Grimm story of Cinderella that uh, Jeff told in the Cinderella episode, we've got these birds that are like full of these like rhymes. And this one is Cock-a-doodle-doo, your golden girls come back to you. And the mother and her, like the stepsister, the mother's uh daughter were both like oh we're so happy to see you covered in gold (laughs) (laughs) come inside the house with your gold (laughs) and so she like comes inside and the stepmother starts thinking some greedy thoughts and is like oh you know what would be awesome is if i had two daughters covered in gold oh so So I'm going to send my like (laughs) ugly, lazy daughter down Uh to do like down to do the exact same thing. (laughs) Chuck her down the well. Yeah, because the industrious daughter had said like, oh, I met Mother Holly and she gave this to me like she did this to me. And so the stepmother's like, I also would like that for my other daughter. So she sends her to go do some drop spindle work by the well. And the daughter, because she needs to get blood onto like the drop spindle to prove how hardworking she is or whatever. She didn't want to actually do the work because, again, (laughs) lazy. So so she just takes a thorn and pricks her finger and gets some blood on it. And then she just drops it down the well. And then she dives in after it. 
So she wakes up at the bottom, not at the bottom of the well. <laughs> she wakes up <laughs> the same place that her sister did. <laughs> and she starts walking to Mother Holly's house because she knows that she needs to go there. And she hears some bread. <laughs> like, help, help, we're burning, we're burning. And she was like, ew, gross. I don't want to get all covered with soot and be like disgusting when oh, I get no. to Mother Holly's house. So I'm just going to like leave that, whatever. It's no problem. So what were we going to say? Oh, just, she like walks away whistling. Like, <laughs> didn't hear it. Did, did you hear something? Like, I must be going insane. I thought that bread was talking to me, but that's crazy. It's not because I'm lazy. It's because I might be hallucinating. So then she walks by the tree, and again, the apples are like, help us fall, we're stuck on this tree. And she's like, um, no, I might get hit on the head with an apple, and that would be traumatic for me personally. <laughs> That's, like, legitimately, like, the excuse, like, that in the story that she gives. She's like, I don't want an apple to fall on my head. I'm like, That's, it's really not a horrible thing. You could discover gravity. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Um, great minds so she gets to mother holly's house and when she sees this lady with like her big teeth or whatever she's not afraid because she already had been warned ahead of time so she just like walks over to mother holly she's like that's the big tooth woman i'm looking for yeah like like, where's my gold (laughs) so she just goes over to her and is like Oh, Mother Holly, hi, I'm here to work for you. And Mother Holly's like, that's wonderful. Come into my house as long as you like work hard, like you can stay here. So the first day she was there, worked super, super hard. And then the next day she worked less hard. And then the next day, (laughs) a little less hard. Until finally she wasn't doing anything. And she also neglected to shake out the uh, feather comforter oh man i know so no no snow so after she had reached a point of supreme laziness that mother holly was basically like um i'm not here to just babysit and and take care of like random like lazy children so she told the girl like hey i think you've stayed long enough i think it's time for you to go home And the girl's like, you're right, I do want to go home too. And she was super anxious for her reward. And Mother Holly hands hands her the drop spindle that she had dropped down. And then she takes her to this giant door. And she opens it up and is like, okay, I need you to stand here. So she gets ready to receive her golden shower. (laughs) (laughs) So she stands there waiting for that gold to like rain down on her. But instead a bucket of pitch lands on her. And now she's like a tar covered sticky mess. Oh man. And mother Holly was like, that is as good as you deserve. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I want to end this story on the words of the rooster when she got home, because it's, the best. Cockadoodle do, your pitchy girls come back to you. 
<laughs> That's great. I was like, dude, I don't know whether that translation was supposed to be such like a hardcore pun, but oh, yeah. I'm loving that. You're but that saying girls. needs to make a comeback in a big way. Seriously. I'm like, hmm, that girl's acting a little pitchy. So <laughs> when I read that story for the first time, what I was struck by was how it seemed like I was supposed to know who this person was. Right. That I was, I mean, the title of it is Mother Holly. So it's a story about Mother Holly, but yeah, it also is, it's not a person that I'm familiar with. It's not a reference that I understand. Yeah. And like you said too, she's like, Hey, don't be afraid. It's me, Mother Holly. Like, yeah. And she, and the girl understood. Yeah. The girl was like, Oh, I'm immediately relieved. Yeah, if you're Mother Holly, then it, I have nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. And then also the the weird reference of like, oh, yeah, when you shake out my bed, like when you shake out my feather comforter, it snows. And I'm like, in reference to what? <laughs> yeah. Because in no other way did this seem like a winter story or like right. any kind of winter tale except for that one mentioned yeah it's just just that thing yeah it's like she fell down a well so it couldn't have been like that cold because she was like working outside yeah and they're the, yeah it's like their apples were ripe and ready so it's like end of summer time so this doesn't seem like a winter story except for that one like random detail and the fact that the whole story seems like i'm supposed to understand it in some way yeah so you're obviously missing something yes and there's a lot that of people back then would have known that would have made the story like just makes sense. Exactly. And there's a lot of times when I'm reading the Brothers Grimm or any old fairy tale, and I know this happens to other people who are reading, when they read the story and they feel like something's been lost in translation, that there's something that they yeah. didn't get from the story. Yeah. And so that story, that's always kind of just like nagged at me that I didn't understand these things. So... While I was researching, because I wanted to do a podcast episode that was like wintry fairy tales, I kept thinking about this one and being like, but it's not wintry enough. I'm going to do some research and I'm going to look up who Mother Holly is, see if there's another more winter story about her. And then I fell down a very long rabbit hole <laughs> or a well, or a perhaps. well. <laughs> Because it turns out that Mother Holly, the name, if you look up the name Mother Holly or Frau Holly, because it's F-R-A-U, because that's the German word for, like, yeah. mother woman, yeah. older woman, uh -huh. you're, the only thing you're going to find is basically this story. But that's because the name Holly was, like, a regional name change that happened. Uh. So by the time the Brothers Grimm wrote this story in like 1812, like when Dorchin told it to them, the name had like traveled, it had gone walkabout, and uh. it had ended up being Holly, but there was ac there's actually a history in German folk mythology about a mother Holda. Mm. And Mother Holda is the goddess of industrious hard work. That tracks. Yep. She's the goddess of uh, lost 
and troubled children. Okay. And she's the goddess of winter. So it's like, okay, clearly it's the same character. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, this is exactly like the same person who this is supposed to be. So long, long time ago, when people in the German, in the the Alps, uh, it's like this section of Germany, Austria, Bavaria, Mm -hmm. they had this mythology and some of it scholars believe was borrowed from Norse mythology because some of the names are kind of similar and what they do is kind of similar. And so um, Mother Holly, she was a goddess who was seen in different aspects, what they would be called in kind of modern and like pagan vernacular is the maiden mother crone. And so she could be seen in any of these different phases. And so the phase Mm -hmm. that she was seen in that story was she was in her crone stage, which in the folklore or like in that mythology, when you saw her in her crone stage, she always had big teeth Uh or, or a large nose. They would either say she had big iron teeth or a large iron beak. Um, and so it is, it totally makes sense that this girl, when she saw this old lady with these giant teeth was scared. And then the lady said, no, I'm mother Holly. And she immediately was like, oh, you're the goddess of winter and lost and troubled children. And I'm lost and troubled. So this is (laughs) just the person that I want to be running into. She's like, so immediately like she is comforted. And if, if. I had read that story the first time and I had had that background of like, like this is who Mother Holly is. I wouldn't be like, why is she just okay with this scary looking lady all of a sudden? It's like, oh. And why why is this lady scary looking? Because it didn't really have, like, it's not like she used her teeth to like chomp into those talking apples or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just It just seemed like an extraneous detail. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, wait, why does she have these like big scary teeth? And it's like, that's just how people described her when they saw her like in like the crone aspect. Yeah. And it's like how you would know that's like, it's the indicator that this is Mother Holly. Like the same thing. Like if you were to tell a story about someone encountering like Santa Claus, you might be like, oh, they ran into this fat guy with big rosy cheeks and a huge stomach. And then the person was scared, was like, no, no, it's me, Santa Claus. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Rosy cheeks, fat stomach, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, oh, those are... Like, that's why it's an important detail to tell that she had big teeth. Otherwise, it's like, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. This girl's like, oh, it all checks out. Um, For me, it's like, I don't understand, so it doesn't all check out. But it does. (laughs) German mythology. If you have the proper context. Yes, exactly. And so... She was seen as this person who she wasn't a goddess in the underworld, but she wasn't a goddess that kind of like roamed above either. She, Mm -hmm. they would either say, because there were areas that would say, oh, that cave over there, that's where Mother Holly lives. That's where Mother Holda is. That's where she keeps her children who on nights when it's windy, you might hear them crying for their mm. mothers and she's there to like comfort them because she normally was seen as a person who would take in the souls of babies that hadn't received their name mm-hmm. because before 
Christianity or in early Christianity, it wasn't so much about being christened or baptized or whatever. It was about a child being named and normally you wouldn't name them until their ninth day. Uh huh. And so if a baby died before their ninth day, then their soul would go to baby Holda or to baby Holda. <laughs> their soul <laughs> would go to mother Holda and she would take care of them in her cave. And there's even, and it's, it sounds to me like, Maybe the children also could age somehow, like their spirits were aging, like when they're with her. Right. Because it's not like she's holding a bunch of like helpless like infants or whatever. Yeah, because she like kind of like takes care of them and raises them and they go on. Yes. And even people would say that sometimes they would see a sad procession. And it was usually around the time of Yule. So the darkest mm-hmm. part of the year, because Yule's December 21st. It's uh, the winter winter solstice. solstice. And so those darkest days, people would say that like, oh, if you're walking out on the street and you see her driving her cart with her parade of like children, then like you need to step out of the way of the road or else like you will be added to like Uh the procession. And so there was kind of even this like mythology of her walking with these like children, I guess, going on walks with them because yeah. people believe that that darkest part of the year was a time when souls could go wandering, like could go like right. journey It's like the veil world. between the afterworld. Yeah, it's like the thinnest for some reason because the darkness is... Freaking people uh, out. I, don't know, I could kind of see how that... Yeah, I can see how that makes sense, you know? Like, yeah. Like dark being associated with like death and whatever. And so when it's darker, longer than they're... Uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Because even today we think year. about like... You walk through a cemetery during the day and you're not like, oh my gosh, a ghost might come up or like a zombie might rise up. You know, like it's just like a kind of weird garden with rocks everywhere. But at night you go in there and you're creepy for some reason. And the same thing, like no one talks about seeing like ghosts wandering around their houses during the day. It's like if you see a ghost, you're seeing a ghost at night. So it's, I don't know, it makes sense to me, I guess, in a a Western culture, or it might be more universal than that. I don't know, but that when the darkness comes, we start. That, that's just an idea, yeah, death. that we yeah. all think about. Because it's about also, like death and darkness being related and ghosts. Because like winter, especially in these like higher places that got you know more of a drastic sunlight difference. Right. Yeah. It's like you know you go up into like Norway or Finland, and some of those places literally have no sunlight for you know a month of the yeah. winter. Actually, I think. November. I think we're in like the middle of that time actually where like there are some cities where like at right at the end of November the sun goes down and it doesn't come back up until the new year. Until, yeah. I think I saw something about that recently yeah, too. Yeah. And so yeah. Crazy. It's it's like it's the dark times and people it's a treacherous time because like there's more darkness, it's colder no food, like whatever food you have stored, that's the amount of food you have. Yeah. People get sick easier because of like the lack of sunlight, not as much like vitamins like in your food because it's all food that's stored. It's just, it's a scarier time. People are more likely to succumb to illness. They're more like just all these like things. And so people would, you know, if you're walking late at night one night, and you are hearing some creepy sounds. It's the dead of winter. And then, you know, you get home and you kind of tell people like, oh, yeah, I was really scared. I thought I, I thought I saw Mother Holda and her like death procession of children like walking down. And then a week later you die. 
from yeah. like, like a sickness from like a sickness and people are like oh it predicted like his death like it like it preceded his death and so mother holda also ended up in that area being combined with another old woman like in the woods like a, a goddess type figure mm-hmm. and still and it's it's regional mythology just in this area because the mountains have split up and divided the different communities that live in them. And so they used to be very isolated. And so you'd get these patches of people with like similar, yeah, like the similar tales and stuff would rotate around inside of there that maybe, you know, there was some communication between, so they had similarities, but the longer it stayed in just one place, the more different it got from the others. Exactly. So, there's this other woman called Perchta. I think I'm saying that right. Probably not because it's German. It's P-E-R-C-H-T-A. So okay. Perchta. And she is a goddess that includes a lot of similar things as Mother Holda, where she wants people to be industrious and hardworking. And she is a goddess of like winter. And then it gets really dark. Because she also is a kind of a violent and a scary person where uh, <laughs> she is just a lot more associated with like, instead of just dead children, she gathers up all like souls that are in in some kind of like limbo situation. Uh-huh. And it's like more like a grim reaper than like a protector of the children. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more. Well, I mean- in a dark aspect of like she yeah. is, she's a lot more frightening. In that, like some of the tales of her, while well, with this one, when a girl's like, "Oh, like I'm industrious and hardworking, or whatever," <laughs> and Mother Holly is like, "That's very sweet and wonderful, and I encourage that behavior." Percha <laughs> is like, "If you don't finish your spinning for the day, then I'm gonna come in your house." And, like, split your belly open and, like, fill you up with the leftover (laughs) cotton. It's like... Oh, man. What? (laughs) That's way worse than a bucket of pitch. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. And so, Percha, more so than Mother Holda, is related with this wild hunt. And we talked a little bit in our Headless Horseman episode about how she... Or about how there were the wild hunt is kind of a, a European thing. And there are different stories, whether it's the the leader of them is the devil and there's a bunch of hunters or a pack of dogs or uh, whatever. Um, right. Or in this case, there's Perchta and she's got this kind of group of people that they're not necessarily coming to like do violence to anybody, but where you had Mother Holda's kind of sad processional of like dead children's souls. Yeah. Yeah. Perchta has kind of like a, an ensemble of like rowdy men that are <laughs> like that, that they, if you meet them on a cold winter's evening, that they will like, 
gut you or like trample you or like, you know, right. it's a lot just more like, violent imagery. Exactly. They're just like so rowdy that if you get caught up with them, something bad might happen. Yes. Like so, they're not out to do it, but if they come across you, they might just take the opportunity. Exactly. And and people, even in like some areas, they would be like, oh, we need to leave our back door. Like we need to leave a path open for them. Or if there are areas that were like common for these sightings to be seen, they wouldn't build like a house or a farm or anything like on that area because they were scared that right. like, they would come trampling their souls would come trampling through the house and yeah, like wreck somehow, your stuff. Yeah, like bring demonic forces like down on their house. Because at the same time that, you know, there's all this like folktale folklore that's percolating in mythologies that people are coming up with that kind of are offshoots of some Nordic mythologies that they've like taken and adapted. At the mm-hmm. same time, we're getting Christian <laughs> creep. which is a i think a term i just coined which sounds like horrible but (laughs) christian encroachment i think is probably like a a less loaded word christianity (laughs) was spreading into the area yes at the same time you had christianity starting to spread into the area and so things started to morph that way also for instance When you have your congregation, like say that you're like a bishop who's been assigned to like this area and your followers are very willing to believe in Christ, but also they believe in Perchta or they believe in Mother Holda and that she has their babies or like some of the souls of their kids who have like been stillborn or whatever. Yeah. At the same time that you have these people who deeply believe in Christ. They also deeply believe in the mythology and the folklore like of their area. Right. And so people will just start combining those things, those like aspects and fitting them in together. Well, what I think is interesting is especially Christianity, I think is a very interesting case because, because of like the, colonization of so many places like around the world that went on because they like went out purposefully to spread christianity and then also yeah european stuff because of that we have the create the the christianity that's in the philippines is different from the christianity that you see in like south america right because in each of these places they have combined Christianity elements with what they already had where they were at. Right. And, and it makes sense too that like that they would do that themselves, number yeah. one. But it also makes sense that as like a missionary or like someone from an outside culture going in and you're trying to tell them about your stories, that as you learned their stories, that you would try to relate it in a way that you knew they'd understand. I mean, that's like a really common just teaching practice where, yeah. you know, try to figure out the their mindset and the way that they see things and explain what you're trying to tell them in a way that makes sense. So it's like, you know, someone could be talking about like the devil or whatever and be like, it's like this person that you were telling me about, you know, like there's an evil person that does these sorts of things. That's who the devil is. And so they walk away like, oh, I get it. Perchta is the devil or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what ended up kind of happening is like Christianity came in is it seems like the people who were preaching were like 
this person that you're talking about, this Perchta and these like people that she has out with them, like they're not souls of your loved ones. They're not souls of like local people. They're demons. They're, they're demons. They're bad. Like they're scary. They're freaky. Mm -hmm. So then people started going home and being like, Percha, Perchta is real. (laughs) And she's got this league of demonic beings like with her. (laughs) And so instead of being like, no, Perchta doesn't exist, only Jesus, only the Christ mythology, only what we are bringing you from Catholicism, right. now it's it's Catholicism mixed in with also... Like the regional... Regional forces that they're acting like, oh, we're in a real war with them. And it's like, are you though? <laughs> <laughs> and so the people... Since they weren't being encouraged not to believe in Perchta, they were being like or encouraged to believe that she was evil and that the people with her is evil. Yeah. Now you've got this mythology where there's this lady who lives out in the woods and there are these wild demons that come out and are wreaking havoc on everything. Uh-huh. So here's where the story is going to start to bump up against Krampus. <laughs> we're taking we're taking a journey, people. We're all on a weird <laughs> journey together right now. From Mother Holly to Krampus. From Mother Holly to Krampus. The holidays are just around the corner, and what better way to celebrate than with Mr. G's Pizza? Santa is sick of cookies and milk. Instead, treat him to a plate of savory chicken wings and a slice of cheese pizza. While you're there, if you happen to see a hideous creature with curly horns and sharp yellow fangs, don't you worry, it's not Krampus. That's just Andy. He'll be your server this evening. And he'll be delivering delicious goodies to your table Thursday through Saturday in scenic Joseph City, Arizona at Mr. G's Pizza. So, another thing that Perchta and Mother Holda were related to was gift giving. If children were industrious, hardworking, sometime in the winter around like Yule, they would receive uh-huh. a gift from Mother Holda or Perchta, depending on like where they're from. So she's right. this gift giving character, but also at the same time, she also has this kind of, rough aspect that we saw in the fairy tale where yeah. if you if the child was not industrious then she would have some kind of retribution against them whether it was right. like i think who with perched to one of the things was like they would leave rotting f- vegetables in their shoes or something where it was like <laughs> like oh no cuz sometimes it would be that their parents were gifted a switch and to beat them to with. beat them with <laughs> as a like <laughs> it was apparently supposed to be this hint that like oh apparently your parents don't beat you enough so parents here's a switch do what you're supposed get to do <laughs> so your kid can get a treat next year because they won't be a horrible child because you beat them enough that they stopped being lazy so at the same time there was this really strong 
parenting technique that it was not unique <laughs> to the area <laughs> where it was like terrify your children into behaving. Like if your kids can't right. behave, like scare the dickens out of them <laughs> so that they like do what you want them to do regardless of like what that is. I was just reading yeah. about uh, Gryla, who is another female character that kind of comes after people, but apparently in Iceland at some point in like the 1700s, they had to tell parents, the government had to tell parents in Iceland to stop scaring their children with Gryla's <laughs> cat because like uh -huh. the threat was like Gryla's cat is going to come and eat you. <laughs> it's like, why are you doing this? So anyway, so there's this parenting technique and it was all over the place of like scare and it still exists. Because I'm like yeah. anybody who's anybody who's got Elf on the Shelf right now, like you're you're not you're not Krampus level, but like but you're ca carrying on the same tradition. Yeah, but it's kind of the same like thing. So, as the people believed and had kind of like traditions and rituals around Perchta coming in and doing like gift giving. You had the Christian aspect coming in saying, no, like, she, <laughs> you can't have her coming into your house, like, because she's obviously, you know, some part of, like, she's the evil. Occult. Yeah, she's evil. Yeah, she she's can't come she's running around with these demons that are killing people and doing all sorts of bad stuff. Yeah, like, why, why are you allowing this, like, these traditions in your home when you should be protecting your family from demons instead of inviting demons into your house? Yeah. And... There was a tradition that was also simultaneously kind of like happening, starting up of, well, there's an old tradition of passion plays, nativity plays. Yeah. And in these smaller, more remote villages, they wanted to have some of those nativity plays, these passion plays, but they also did not have the space or a center for kind of like a big show of mm -hmm. it. And so they were getting house visits where it was kind of like a little a little nativity play like inside of their house or in somebody's barn doing it for like 20 right. or something. Yeah, they're like just traveling from small location to small location. Yeah. And the nativity plays that I'm talking about, they're not the ones that you have seen on Charlie Brown where, you know, you've <laughs> got like some little kid you know, dressed up as a shepherd and it's adorable and like super cute. No, like these, these passion plays, they were action movies that like people uh -huh. wanted to, they wanted to see blood. They wanted like Michael Bay explosions. Like, <laughs> like these are the things that they were coming to see that they like wanted to see. And yeah. a <clears throat> big part in the nativity play, and it used to be some people's like favorite part was when King Herod would say like it's time to start like killing those babies <laughs> and there would be blood everywhere like the stories that i was reading i was like what in the world where they would even have they would make like little almost like little wine casks and they'd fill uh -huh. them like with blood like not blood they'd fill them with just like red something maybe blood yeah. but but, like animals blood maybe i don't know animals blood maybe i don't know what their lives are like 
And they would be about the size of, like, a child, and they would have it dressed up. And so then when the guards would be, like, oh, stabbing gosh. it, there would be, like, the juice flowing like out. just blood. Yes. Yeah. And so people were like, yeah, like, I'm here for it. And <laughs> in a, like, we love hating Herod kind of way. He was a character yeah. people love to hate. Yeah. And so a really big part of the play was then when Herod dies. I can't remember whether it's when Herod dies or whether one of his... His, like, his son, Herod, or something, another Herod, when he dies, they would have devils come out on stage Uh and grab him and, like, drag him into this, like, gaping maw of a, like, beast. Uh And, like, he would die. So, like, his death was super bloody. There'd be demons on stage and... I'm just saying, like, if anybody, if your plays, nativity plays at church or anything like that, like, please invite me. Like, I just, like, (laughs) same. I'm fascinated. Like, (laughs) what are you people, like, into? I got to know, like, that, because the, the nativity plays I've seen are just way, way more tender, I think is the (laughs) word that I would use. They're tender. Uh, so. They would be putting on kind of miniature plays like this in smaller groups in these, like either people's houses or whatever. So it was a lot more scaled down. There was not babies getting stabbed inside of people's houses. So they had to kind of like scale it down. And so the number of actors, it seems, would just kind of like get smaller and smaller until you had just St. Nick... Because St. Nicholas Day is December 6th. So you would have him kind of coming in as like a narrator. And he would come Mm -hmm. in as like a narrator and just be kind of talking about like children and why they should behave and be good for their parents and be good students and stuff like that. And then he would kind of be like, and if you're not... These demons are going to come in and get you. And then these people dressed up as demons would like come out and terrorize the children, like to, you know, give them to a good scare. scare. Like, to give them an idea. It's like, you want to know what that looks like when the demons come after you? Yep. That's exactly what <laughs> That was the worst whistle in the world. I, I I'm going to edit in someone else's amazing whistle. <laughs> like on our sound stage, we have. So, uh, anyway. So you're talking about like the demons, so you'd have the demons come in and scare the crap out of the kids. They'd have these demons come in and scare the crap out of the kids. Well, people were kind of familiar with this and it, it went really well with what they believed with Perchta and her, her band of demons. Yeah. And so they were like, well, we would kind of have a holiday where we had Perchta doing this. But our church is telling us that that's wrong, but I guess St. Nick can do it. And so it morphed into these wild creatures that lived out into the woods were now suddenly BFFs with St. Nick. (laughs) (laughs) And St. Nick is coming in with these Krampus and terrorizing children. And to everybody, I feel like outside of this area where... We went on kind of a different Santa Claus journey, and in the 
We went on a different Santa costume. <laughs> R.I.P. to all of those scared children. There's a lot more like talking animals. and uh... The American Santa that we have today, he went on a completely separate journey. And, you know, he's got like elves as friends and stuff. And so then we look at Krampus. We're like, where on earth did this come from? Yeah, we're like, what happened? Like, how did we get here? <laughs> And it's it's because of this like old German mythology of like regional to the area mixing with Christianity, them trying to piece together things that like fit in. And now they've got Krampus. So I found this amazing book and basically all the information that I have on Krampus, I got from this book. It's called The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas by Al Redener. He actually is one of the hosts for the Bone and Sickle podcast. And he truly, he wrote the book on Krampus. But the thing that I found the most interesting about it was how much, how much I thought that Krampus was just kind of a like anti-Christmas for people who want to make Christmas like super edgy and not like postcardy. Like, not, mm-hmm. like, Hallmark movie. Because it's, like, anybody who hates Hallmark movies is, like, I'm going to dress up as Krampus. Like, I'm going to beat people. Yeah. And so, like, that's kind of the vibe that I was getting from, like, anytime people would talk about Krampus. Or the movies that were being created were showing Krampus as, like, the anti-Santa. Where while Santa was, like, trying to do his thing, Krampus wanted to, like, fight him and kill him or whatever. And yeah. that's not their relationship at all. In fact, yeah, like the the Santa that we know in like American Christmas, he has nothing to do with Krampus whatsoever. Like they're right. not related like to each other. Yeah, yeah, they're completely separate from each other. Inside of this book, what I was struck by was how these, the communities in Austria, Germany, Bavaria, especially like the smaller communities who like celebrate these holidays and celebrate with like the characters like Krampus. Yeah. Is how it actually is just this this holiday that binds them together. It gives them this like shared tradition, this shared history. And it actually is just a very positive thing for their communities. So when he was describing it in his book, it basically sounded like just groups of people who are getting together to pass out goodies at other people's houses and just have a bit of like good spirited, like roughhouse and spooking. Uh-huh. And it was just, it was so sweet. <laughs> Which seems weird when you look at like a picture of a, a picture Krampus. of Krampus, and I'm like, it's like reverse Halloween. These terrifying creatures come to your house, and yeah. then they give you candy <laughs> instead of the other way they around. Come to your house. Uh, so some of the stuff that he describes, like that, that goes on with all this. First of all, the Krampus tradition was actually starting to like dwindle and disappear and becoming like kind of like less and less important. And after World War II, when the people in Austria and Germany and Bavaria, they were trying to kind of get their national pride back. They were trying to regain their national identity too, like trying to figure out what made them them. Yeah. This one town in Austria, they 
started to lean really hard into the Krampus tradition. Uh-huh. And this one guy who had been like an art student outside like of the country, he started designing the masks that they would wear. And the masks mm-hmm. that are traditional, they're not like like blood dripping down them and like super gory. I mean, they they're made out of wood and they look really like chiseled because they, they only use kind of like old school traditional tools. It's not supposed to look like it's supposed to look like a mask and you know, it's got horns and stuff on it, but it's not gory or terrifying. Yeah. they, They also have these like big, heavy bells that they wear. And so when they're kind of hopping along, like they're like, Oh, I'm a creepy demon. And it's kind of this hopping, like walk the bells on the back, like jingle and are like, like clang and are like loud. And so people can hear them coming up the the street. And so they'll get these groups of people who will decide like, Oh, we're going to be a group of Krampuses. We're going to be a group of Krampuses. I think he, he wrote, Krampuses, but it's a German word, and so it's really like Krampuse, Krampuse, something like that. Because I have no idea. Yeah, um, but it is not Krampusai or Kramp, Krampi. <laughs> it's not Krampi. Multiple Krampus are not Krampi because it's not a Latin word. So they'll get these groups, and it'll be headed by. They'll have one Saint Nicholas. And like a group of Krampus, they can have other characters too, whether it's like an angel that comes in that's a little more comforting to children. Or there's also a guy that like, he's like carrying a a big basket that's full of um, like treats to be passing out. So these groups of people, they'll get together and there's going to be lots of different groups inside of like a town. And they'll all go to separate houses on St. Nicholas Eve, so December 5th. And they'll kind of do this little thing where the Santa will go into the house and kind of be like, have you been good boys and girls? It's very important that you've been good boys and girls. And the kids will kind of recite some of the stuff that they've learned at school or church. So either part of the catechism or Uh a song, a Christmas song to sing that they've learned at school. Or they'll recite like poetry, something to show that they've are good kids, <laughs> like something like that. And so Santa will be like, that's a really good job. Like, I'm really proud of you guys. Excellent work. And then he passes out like little treats. And what it said in the book is that a lot of these smaller towns, like those groups of people, like the, the troop of Krampuses, it's just, a, it's a group yeah. of guys between the ages of like 17 and 26. Uh-huh. And, so kind of like young men. Yeah, so like young yeah, young men, like guys who are just starting out as like men, leaving their teens, entering like manhood. So it's kind of this I don't know if they would describe it as like a mentor like thing, but it's this like nice group that all like their friends they get along and they want to do this together. And they'll make the treats that they pass out. Uh-huh. So whether it's like little bags of like nuts or little cookies or chocolates, they'll have them kind of ready in their basket. And in bigger places, apparently like the parents will have some stuff set aside for the St. Nicholas character to pass out. Uh, If, if they don't 
do their own. So after they pass out like the treats, the kids usually during all of this are behind a table, like a big dining room table. So it's kind of this barrier between them and like right, so the actors. Have like a little bit of sense of safety. Yeah. And usually their parents or other adults are like flanking them like on the sides too. So they're very uh, secure, like in the back away from people. Right. And so then the Krampus will come into the house and basically what it was described as was basically like enough chaos that it's scary for like Uh, kids, but not enough. It's not like no one's getting hurt. No one's right. It's like, it's very controlled chaos where they will like tip over chairs in the house and they're just being little demons like inside the house. And Uh they have horse hair whips. And so those are basically, it's just like the hair off of a horse's tail yeah. So, so it's more for show than for, I mean, if you really right. hauled off and whipped somebody, it would hurt. It but could hurt, but. Yeah, they're more shaking them, like, in the children's faces or near them. Right. They're not making contact with, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The children. No one's actually beating children. But they, the guy in the book said that, like, they might rough up some of the older kids in the house. Right. Some of the young teenagers. Or, who definitely or even, deserve it. Yeah, who definitely deserve it. <laughs> like, they're like, you needed to get beat once in a while, so it's going to be tonight. Or, you know, they'll grab hats off of people, and just and their bells are clanging, so it's loud. So it's more of, like, theatrical yeah. danger uh-huh. than any real danger. Right. And so at some point when it kind of reaches like a fever pitch where it feels like, Oh, it's all going insane. The St. Nicholas will kind of be like, Oh, Krampus, stop it. Stop it. Get out of these good people's homes and kind of like usher them like out of the house. And that's Uh, kind of like a little like house visit, little, a tiny morality play and like a little bit of danger. (laughs) And it basically is like encouraging these young men to get together in groups and, Participate in a community theater event together. Yeah. It's really wholesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which it's they're... like it's like the perfect combination of like, like you said, like rowdiness and like danger and like spooky, scary, weird stuff to be attractive to like young men to be like think it's cool. Yeah. But like you said, they think that it's cool to go out and do community theater and like give treats to children that they baked themselves, you know? Like Yeah, yeah. It's it's like Wow, you guys really so naughty. <laughs> and <laughs> it found the perfect line. Yeah, and it is there's kind of like this perfect line between like violence and like not danger because sometimes there are some like physical altercations that go on between different Krampuses and different groups where yeah. where they do basically these like controlled shoving fights. Uh-huh. Where, like, they'll kind of act like they'll see another group, like Krampus, and be like, oh, I want to fight that guy. And then the St. Nicholas's kind of, like, agree to the fight and, like, moderate it. <laughs> they're like the coaches in the corner. All right. Yeah. Get in there. But it basically is like they're hitting each other, shoving each other. But they're not, they're not, it sounded like they're not punching like each punching other. Punching or kicking each other. Yeah, because they're not trying to punch each other's masks or disrobe like the other person from the stuff. It's basically a shoving match. And right. like either if if somebody ends up in the snow or if the Santa Clauses think they're not Santa Clauses, the Saint Nicks think that it's getting too crazy, 
they'll kind of step in and be like, okay, good fight, good fight, guys. And the people who are the Krampuses, they have to like shake hands like with each other, like yeah. at the end of it. So it's, even though it's like. So, you know, it's like all in good, sp- good sport. Or yeah. Yeah. And so you've get these young men that are like, they're allowed to be basically, well, cause they said in the book, they said that um, when they're on duty as Krampuses, it's kind of best practice not to be getting drunk, not to be drinking like heavily. Right. Cause Ev- you need to be able to have control. Yeah. And every now and then they say, yeah, you'll get some guys that like, They'll get drunk and go out and do it, and then that's kind of scary. Yeah. But the majority of them, it's not even them going out in public, getting wasted, like, drunk, and then beating each other. (laughs) Yeah. It really is, like, them getting together as a group, doing this community activity, and maybe there's a little roughhousing for them. A little bit of fisticuffs. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all in, like, it's all fun. It's all just to be, like, lighthearted and... Uh, silly. Right. So, so some of these small towns that practice like the traditional version, they look at big cities that the bigger cities like in Germany, especially that are putting on big tourist attraction type things. And they see like the, like led lights on the masks and like all this stuff. Uh And they're like, that's not what this holiday is about. <laughs> Have people forgotten the the true spirit of Krampus? <laughs> it's Krampus so- isn't something you can buy in a store. <laughs> Krampus means just a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, reading this, I thought it was really interesting because a couple times, I guess, like, governments have kind of gone to these small towns, especially some of them that are like ski resorts. And they're like, maybe you should open your ski resort early and have kind of like commercialized Krampus events to show Mm -hmm. tourists. And the towns have been like, no, absolutely not. We're not going to change like our traditions or put or like sell our traditions for money. (laughs) Right, because the purpose of it is to be something that brings the community together, not... Not cater to... To outsiders. Yeah, to to people who want to, like, come in and gawk or people who want to, like, appropriate the holiday into something that it's not. I just thought it was absolutely insane how I went from being, like, Mother Holly isn't much of a Christmas tale for me to bring up for the podcast to like, now we're going on a journey through time and space in Germany and like (laughs) going from like Mother Holly, like Mother Holda, Perchta, and like, oh, these like wild men to, oh, now they're Krampus and... It's fine because... St. Nick is involved. Yeah, St. Nick is involved. So, like, it's fine. (laughs) It's church approved now. Even still in these areas, they've held on to a lot of their, like, mythology and folklore and even, like, traditions of, like, these old, dark Christmas times. It's fascinating to me that all of this is going on in this, like, little geographical area like compared to like the world and also that most of most of that is completely unknown to people except for you know when people saw krampus 
on the internet and they're like, what is this? Is it creepy devil Santa? And it's like, it's not. (laughs) And so it's just fascinating that, that I at first didn't really want to tell the story of mother Holly for Christmas or for like winter time, because I didn't feel like it was wintry enough. I didn't feel like it connected well enough, even though there's this one bizarre aspect of like the, the, the feathers of her feather bed turning into snow. And it was crazy that as I was studying about it and where she came from, we have this long line of stories where kind of the interconnecting uh, concept is this good children will be rewarded and bad children will be punished. And it's something that is still relatable, even if you're not in a culture that celebrates Saint Nick and Krampus, I bet you have some kind of tradition where children are being rewarded for being good. And we we start young with children doing that. And I think it's a theme that we're going to be seeing next episode as well. You've been listening to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. If you enjoyed what you listened to, please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more fairy tale content, head over to thefairytellers.wordpress.com for lighthearted retellings, or follow us on Instagram for daily fairy tale memes at thefairy underscore tellers, or even join the conversation on our Facebook page. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. This episode contains additional music from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. Check him out at incompetech.com. May you have warm words on a cold evening, a full moon on a dark night, and a smooth road all the way to your door. An Irish blessing. I just spat all over that word. Colloquialism. Hopefully I said that correctly that time. (laughs) Just kidding. Um...